Well, amen. So we are walking through our summer fruit series. And as Pastor Josh is, I think he's done a great job so far at like setting up just how tricky this series is because we're, we're standing up here as, as preachers and we're saying, hey, guys, um, do these things, but you can't do them, but do them, but you can't. It's the Holy Spirit who does them in you. So it's, it's this tricky, it's, this, it, it's a tricky dynamic, but, but we're, we're trying to encourage you towards while telling you that you can't do it without the, the, the work of the Holy Spirit. So, um, because think about it, it's the, it's the fruit of the Spirit, right? It's, it's not the fruit of the man. It's not the fruit of the woman. It's not even the fruit of the mature man. It's not the fruit of the mature woman. It's not the fruit of your willpower. It's the fruit of the Spirit. This is the, these are things that the Holy Spirit does in, in the life of the believer that gives gifts to the believer. And these are fruit that we call. So... We can't try hard enough to produce them in ourselves. What if I just stood up here and I was like, hey, you, love better right now. Turn that switch on. Just, just have joy now. Like that, that doesn't work, and we know that. So um, you can't earn it. You can't. So they're tricky. They're, they're sort of ethereal. But, but if you think about them, they're, they're these attributes of God. So, so they're fruit of the, fruit of the Spirit, recap. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Think about these things. These are all attributes that God has in full. And that we, as, as image of God, we have in part. And then He, as we mature, as we grow in Him, He gives them more and more. Um, so, there... They're these sort of ethereal things. So anyway, so last week, uh, Pastor Josh brought a message on love. And if you guys know anything about the fruit of the Spirit, you know, love, joy, peace. So this week, we're going to be talking about not joy. No, we're not. We're going to be, we're we're switching things up. Uh, I thought maybe we would do joy, but then Pastor Josh said, you, really, joy? I don't see it. No, (laughs) no. He didn't do that. Uh, but no, he will be bringing a message on joy pretty soon. Uh, but this week, we're going to be talking about peace. Peace. And uh, without God, there's, there's no peace. So um, let's ta- let, start, I figured the best place is the beginning. So we'll, we'll take a look. You don't have to open your Bibles up yet. Uh, if you do want to open your Bible, we're going to be in Philippians 4 this morning. But you don't have to go to Genesis 1, but that's where... So Genesis 1 and 2... Paint this picture of God as creator. He creates everything, and then the, the capstone on his creation, the cherry on the ice cream, is man. It's the thing that he has created, man and woman, image of God, and he's created them to, to subdue the earth, to fill it with more little images of God. As, as the water covers the seas, the glory of the Lord covering the entire face of the earth, this was the point of creation. To, to have this beauty, and, and it's in Genesis 1 and 2, there is actually peace on earth. And then Genesis 3 happens, and not so much. We've never seen peace on earth ever again. So why in Genesis 1 and 2 was there peace on earth? Well, if you think about it, it's, it's because there was peace between man and God. So God creates this good world, we blew it, and the world has never seen peace ever again. 
So the, the funny thing is, though, like no matter who you talk to, it seems like everybody, everybody wants peace, right? I mean, I've never met somebody like the Joker who just wants to, the world to burn. And like, I've, I've never actually met that person. I'm sure that they exist, but they're so few and far between. But everybody wants peace, but we don't even know what it means anymore. It's sort of like, what do you want? Oh, I want world peace. It's almost a joke. It's like, it's trite. It's, it doesn't even mean anything anymore, right? So peace, what is it? Is it, is it do you get peace when everybody agrees with you and is just like you? Is it just, just like, because I, I don't know. If everybody was just, I tick myself off quite a bit, and if everybody else was like me, I, that would not be a nice world that I would want to live in. So is it, is it peace by any means necessary? Just kill all of your adversaries and then you have peace? I mean, some people think that's the way to go. I don't, I don't think that's that working out very well. Um, <laughs> so there, there are a lot of ideas about what peace is, what but a lot of them, if you, if you really dig down into them, they're sort of almost just gushy sentiments that are like Hallmark cards that don't, they have nothing underneath them. You know what I mean? So I'm a little bit of a cynical guy, and it's something that I'm working on. It's just sort of who I am, but I don't want to be quite as cynical as I am. I, maybe pessimistic. I don't think I'm pessimistic, but I, I think maybe I'm realistic. So... I found a couple of quotes about peace that, that I'd like to maybe put the Mirando spin on. So, so the first quote, if you want to make peace with your enemy, you have to work with your enemy, and then he becomes your partner. That's a really nice sentiment. That sounds really good. I could, I could get behind that. That sounds nice. But we live in a Genesis 3 world. And so the Mirando spin, if you want to make peace with your enemy, you have to work with your enemy. Then he becomes your murderer. That seems more realistic. That seems more like what the news is telling me is happening all around the world. That seems sort of like what a Genesis 3 world looks like. How about another one? If you want to end the war, then instead of sending guns, send books. Instead of sending tanks, send pens. Instead of sending soldiers, send teachers. That's an, I like that. I like the idea of that. However, that's a terrible strategy to win a war. If you, you're going to lose that war. If you send books instead of... The, okay, your enemy is going to figure out a way to take the books and the pens and kill the teachers with them. That's what's real. That's what's going to happen. So they're nice sentiments. I think maybe they're a bit naive. I think maybe there's, they're just not quite solid enough. They're, they're just gushy sentiments that, that won't actually produce change in a person. So here's, a, here's a, a quote that I can actually fully stand behind, and this is by, by D.L. Moody, if you guys know the Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. He was a 19th century evangelist, and so D.L. Moody, he has this, this quote, and it says, if a man is stealing nuts and bolts from a railway track, and in order to change him, you send him to college, at the end of his education, he will steal the whole railway track. That I can understand. That seems like realistic to me. That seems sort of like the way that I see the world working. That, that education is not our savior. Though education is a good and empowering thing, and I'm for it, I think that it is certainly not our education. It is certainly not our savior. It's not our, our problem. The problem isn't ignorance. The problem is sin. And we are not going to save ourselves from that problem. 
The problem is sin. The answer is Jesus, the Prince of Peace. So, you, you might not be on board with me yet, so, so I got, don't worry, we'll get there. We're, 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 we're working on it. So, we're able to hide our wickedness, I think, our, our depravity, who, like our, in, because we live in 21st century America, and all of our most basic needs are met. Like, you want water, we got water. You, got, you want food, there's food. You got shelter, you... All of our basic needs are met. So you have peace with your neighbor because you give him a head nod on your way in through the door? Is that true peace? I don't know. Doesn't, I don't know. But we ma- we're able to mask our depravity with, with cultural norms and with politeness. And we think that we're all pretty good people. I, I want to tell you a story. Here's some proof. So a couple years ago, I was working as a maintenance man at these apartment complexes. And there was a horrific ice storm. And the power, so I was in Foxborough, the power was off in Foxborough for two weeks. And these people who were normally very kind, very cordial towards me, even generous, became hostile, became uh, insulting. Because, see... I had, to, I had a generator that I had to use in order to continue working, in order to get these apartments renovated so that more people could move in. But they saw that I had power, and they didn't have power. And though my power was just for light so that I could paint a wall without, you know, without missing a spot, they, so these people who were generally cordial, who were generally very, very nice, you take away their basic, and they become... Mean, hostile, and I'm, I'm, I guarantee it. I don't know how much longer it would have taken, but you give it a long enough time and it would have become violent. That's who we are. That's who we are. You, you still not convinced? Okay, parents, when did you teach your son or daughter to hit that other kid and take his toy? When did you teach him to do that? Who taught you to be jealous? This is who we are. This is the fallen state of man. You still not convinced? Okay. Monday. Clear crime of treason. Turkey's president says death penalty possible after coup attempt. Tuesday. Baton Rouge police shooting. Targeted and assassinated. Wednesday. Syrian rebels behead boy in, quote, mistake. Thursday. Police shoot therapist aiding autistic man. Friday, several dead in Munich shooting. I didn't have to dig far to find these headlines. In fact, this was the worst part of my entire week because I generally try to stay away from that because it depresses me. But we have come a long way from the good world that God has made. We are not at peace. You know it. I know it. We have turned our backs on the author of peace. And this is the consequence. This is the consequence. So with, with all of this stuff, and I know I didn't have to push that probably as hard as I did. You guys all understand. You've seen the news. You know we're not at peace. But you can feel helpless You can feel scared. You can feel anxious. You're not in control of the situation. You don't know all the information about it. 
frustrated, exhausted, angry. So what do we do? Well, I'm glad you asked. Now you can take your Bible, open up to Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 6. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, there should be some white Bibles around. Uh, you can pass that. And, and uh, if you don't own a Bible, please don't leave this building without taking one of those Bibles home with you. Um, so starting in verse 6, Philippians 4, verse 6. It says, do not be anxious about anything. Hold on. Wait a minute. God, you just heard those headlines I read, right? You just, you, surely you understand that we can be anxious about a couple of things, God. Let's try that again. Hold on. Do not be anxious about anything. But God, seriously, my finances are a wreck. I do not know where I'm going to live in a month. I'm probably going to die single and alone. I don't think I'll ever get that child that, that I want so desperately. Let's try it one more time. Do not be anxious about anything. Dang it, it still says the same thing. Gosh. <laughs> okay, let's continue reading it in context then. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Now, I don't, need a, I don't need a show of hands, but how many of you guys know that peace of God that surpasses understanding? I've, I've known a lot of you long enough to, be, to, to walk through situations with you in which you say, it's that peace that I can't explain. It's that peace that I can't explain. So how am I going to stand up here when the Bible literally says it surpasses understanding? How am I going to stand up here and explain it? It surpasses understanding. So I'm not going to attempt to do that, but, but I do want to talk about it. Uh, so if we, if we look at it, so it starts off, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So there seems to be this link between prayer, anxiety, thanksgiving, supplication and peace, right? There seems to be. So let's think about it together. You need to have faith in order to pray, right? Because otherwise you're just talking to yourself. In, in order to believe that your, your prayers are actually doing something, going further than, than the, the surrounding, you know, as far as your voice can carry it. You have to believe that there is a God who is listening to you, that your prayer can actually do something. So faith. It seems to be interlinked with thanksgiving and, and peace. Now, why? So, so think of the context in which Paul is writing, because he's writing to a persecuted church that you could, I mean, people, you could just, because you're a Christian, it was not uncommon for people to come and steal all your stuff. And ultimately, we know that the first several centuries and, and even onward are filled with martyrs for the Christian faith who, who refused to deny Jesus Christ and paid the ultimate penalty for it and gained the ultimate reward ultimately. But Paul tells them to have peace. So, so surely we can have peace, right? Now, we cannot have peace on, with, with our 
neighbors until we have peace with ourselves. And we cannot have peace with ourselves until we have peace with God. And you say, I object. I do have peace, and I have no need for Jesus. Okay, you, you tell yourself that tonight when you go to bed with the TV on so you don't have to deal with your thoughts. And you tell yourself that the next time you're sitting alone in a room and you reach for your phone to distract yourself so you don't have to deal with your thoughts. So for the most part, we're, we're not a culture who's at peace. We are a culture that is very distracted. That I'll give you. But that's, that's a whole lot different than peace. Right? So, so no matter the external situation, if you know that you have peace with the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, then you can have peace. So no, it doesn't matter what's happening outside. I'll give you an example. So a couple years ago, my daughter Zoe was um, horrified of the vacuum cleaner. When I turned the vacuum cleaner on, she would, I mean, be inconsolable. Really, like, as long as that thing was going, it was, she was terrified. And it was awesome for, for like, a couple of days because it just meant we didn't have to vacuum the house. That, it was like, oh, I was going to vacuum, but, you know, Zoe, she, you know. So, <laughs> but then eventually we were going to have some folks over and you had to vacuum. So we turned the vacuum on. I'm vacuuming the house. She's terrified until I pick her up. And the vacuum's still on. The external situation hasn't stopped. Daddy's even the one who's in control of the vacuum cleaner making the bad thing happen. But she's at peace because she's in Daddy's arms. She doesn't understand what's happening out here. But she understands who I am and that I love her and that she's safe with me. This is the type of picture that God paints. That we are his children. And though we do not understand what is happening out here, why, God, would you let this happen? Though we can find refuge in him. Saying, God, I know that you're bigger. I know that you're stronger. I know that you're more powerful. I know that you love me. I don't understand, but I trust you. And there is my peace. There is my peace. So it's, it's also like um, you think about in, in the Psalms, over 40 times alone, God is referred to as a refuge. Not counting when he's called a shield, a rock, a defender. Just, just refuge, just the word refuge. God is called a refuge more than 40 times in the Psalms alone. And you think about the Psalms, those of you who are, who are at least a little bit familiar with the, with the Psalms, it's, it's, it's like a lot of times it's David who starts out the Psalm and it's like, God, what is happening? My enemies are everywhere. Everybody's against me. This is terrible. Where and something shifts in the middle of that where he, he reminds himself who God is and what he's already done. Something shifts where it'll be, you know, he'll recall the deliverance of Israel out of, out of Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea, or it'll be, uh, the, you know, you've delivered me from the hands of my enemies in the past, and I trust that you will continue to do that. And then the psalm ends with rejoicing. Starts off here, sorry, he starts off here, down low, God, where are you? What is happening? What reminds him who he's talking to and ends with rejoicing. This is the God who is our refuge. 
And think, I mean, this week, what is a refuge? You think about this week, gosh, an awning was such beautiful refuge this, this week. Just, just getting out of the sun for, for a little bit. Not to mention an air-conditioned house or an air-conditioned building. Gosh, just flocking to the air conditioning. That's a refuge. It's like brutal, brutal, brutal. Once you get through the door, it's like, oh, peace. This is my God. When I rest in Him, oh, God, you have me. I am yours. Yeah. The other example, so it's like, it's like tag. It's when you're a kid, you play tag. And then, you know, there, you get that base. You have that one set base. I don't know if these, these are the rules that you played with, but these are the rule, rules that we came up with. So you have base when it's tag. And, and if you can get to base before the other guy, he's right on your tail, and you get to that base, and there is nothing he can do to you. I am invincible as long as I am touching this tree. You can do nothing to me. You cannot touch me. It's that, that peace. It's almost like you can nah, 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 your problems. Because <laughs> I got God. I'm on base. Right? He's our refuge. And this is why being familiar with your Bible is so crucial. Because how are you going to remind yourself about who God is and what he has done if you're not quite sure? If you, if you have a plethora of, my goodness, the examples of how faithful God is in this book. Over and over and over, he is a deliverer for his people. Become familiar with it. Because God will become more beautiful the more you learn about him and, and who he is. So, let's continue reading in Philippians 4. 8 and 9, because like I said at the beginning, it's like, you can't do these things, so let me urge you towards it. Now, Paul sort of does the exact same thing here, so we'll get a little bit practical. Starting in verse 8, he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, Think about these things, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, what is pure? What is lovely? What is commendable? What is excellent? What is worthy of praise? These things sound a whole lot like God to me. Think about these things. How are you going to think about them if you're not familiar with them? Think about these things. Renew your mind. Daily Bible reading is not some exercise that you can check off your list so that God's happy with you that day, so that you can have a successful day. Daily Bible reading is something that will, it's like a, it's, it, it's gosh, I don't even have, it's, it's just, it's, Working out, it's building your muscles, it's, it's so that you have this, ar- you know, this arsenal of truth to throw at the situations, to throw at the devil. Yes, the world outside is falling apart, but I know my God. So this week, consider what you are consuming. Because I know, I know it's an election year and everybody's sort of glued to the TV and the news and 
It's outrageous. But, but what are you being discipled by? Because that's, what, that's the question that I'm constantly asking. Because if you're, if you're consuming the media constantly, if you're consuming all of these things that want to rob you of your peace in order to sell you stuff, because if you're scared, then you're willing to throw your wallet down and, and help me feel better. So if you're consuming things that are constantly robbing you of your peace, how are you going to find peace? So consider what you are consuming. Instead, get into the Word. Find a refuge in Him. Find a refuge in your Bible, knowing that the author of it lives inside of you, the Holy Spirit. Instead of this deluge of horror that's on TV. I mean, it's not bad to know what's going on around the world but oftentimes it, it has absolutely no effect on you or me. And the news is often, they should rename it gossip. It's, it's, you've got to sit through 15 minutes of gossip to actually get to a news piece. So consider what you're consuming this week. And let me give you a little bit of a motivation. This is, who are we, who are we here for? We're here for God. Well, think about this. Check, check this out. Our God is the creator of all things. That's Genesis 1. He is the sustainer of all things. That's Colossians 1.17. God knows all things. That's 1 John 3.20. And has marked your days before you lived even one of them. That's Ephesians 2.10. He has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die all, for all who would believe in Him. That's Hebrews 9.28. He's in complete control. That's Psalm 115.3. And if you're a Christian, He has adopted you as a son or a daughter, Ephesians 1.5, and has made you an heir of all things, Romans 8.17, and he is using everything that ever happens for your good, Romans 8.28. Everything that has ever happened for your good. Everything. Doesn't that make you feel better than the deluge of terror that's on the television? Doesn't that make you feel more hopeful, a little bit more peaceful? Yes. See, our thoughts and our actions, they flow from our beliefs. Our thoughts and actions flow out of what we believe. And so, if we're discipled by these things that rob us of our peace, we're going to be anxious, we're going to be depressed, all those things that we covered in the wilderness series, they're, they're, they're flowing out of what we're being discipled by. And the more and more we're discipled by Jesus Christ, the more peace that we can have, the more joy we can have the more love we can have, all of those fruits. Who doesn't want this? It's like that, where those moths just heading towards that beautiful blue light. Oh, it's so interesting. What is that zap? Like, whereas we have this amazing word right here that wants to grant us peace and joy and love, and yet we flock to the other things. So let us fight that. No matter what anybody else says, we have what God says. We know, Romans 8.28, let's camp there for just, just two minutes. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. For those who love God, all things work together for good 
for those who are called according to his purpose. We don't have to see it. See, like Zoe in, in, my, in her daddy's arms, we, we don't have to know why or how this is working for our good, but we can trust that we're in dad's arms, that he loves us, that he's sovereign over even this and is using it for his glory, for our joy, for our benefit to grow us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ so that we may have more of peace, more of joy, more of all of the fruit. He loves me. See, God doesn't have, he doesn't have a bad day. Like, war doesn't break out because God, like, didn't get enough sleep the night before. And, and violence doesn't happen because God took an extended lunch break. Like, this doesn't, this is not God. He doesn't have a bad thing. So he's sovereign over all of the things so that we can trust that he's using all of the things for our good. Because that's what the Bible says. And the author of that Bible is God himself, the Holy Spirit. And we can trust all of this. So, the worst situation in the history of the world. The cross of Jesus Christ. Where the sinless Savior of the world, the sinless Son of God, was put up on a Roman cross by sinful man. And that act was ordained by God, the Father. That in, in eternity past, this plan was, was to happen in order to, to, to show us how gracious, how merciful, how kind God is. So we can say, a curse on the cross of Jesus Christ for killing the, our God. But we can also say, bless the cross of Christ because it reveals to us how wonderful, how lovely, how amazing, how gracious our God is. So we, we put Him on the cross. And God put Him on the cross. It's that, it's that Genesis 50-20 where, where, the brother, where Joseph goes to the brothers and says, what you've done for evil, the Lord meant for good. It's this, that we, don't, we, we can't really wrap our minds around it, but if we can trust that God is in control, we can have peace. So through, through Jesus' death and resurrection, we have the opportunity to trust in what He has done, in His righteousness, not ours, like we just sang. We trust in His righteousness alone and faultless stand before the throne. Because the thought of standing before the throne of God in our own skin is terrifying. That song that we sing occasionally, Holy, 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 would be the scariest song that has ever been written if it wasn't for the grace of Jesus Christ. Because we are not holy. And a holy God has no choice but to punish us. But praise God for Jesus Christ that we can sing that song with rejoicing because we know who He is. We know that what He has done. And if you've repented and believed in Jesus Christ, then you can stand before that throne dressed in His righteousness I have no problem believing that, that there's unity, there's communion within the Godhead, within the, the, the three-person trinity. One God, three persons. 
I have no problem believing that the Father loves the Son and that the Son loves the Holy Spirit. And that they Occasionally, I have a problem understanding how God could love a sinner like me. But if I can remind myself that it's not my actions, it's this foreign righteousness that Christ has earned on my behalf, I can rest in that. I can find peace in that. So big, most important thing I want you to get this morning is peace is not merely the absence of conflict. Peace is the knowledge of the presence of God's favor towards you. Let's say that again. Peace is not merely the absence of external conflict. Peace is the knowledge of the presence of the is the knowledge of the presence of God's favor towards you. And if you know that God is for you, if you know that God loves you with an unwavering love because of what Jesus Christ has done, not because of what you have earned, how could you not be at peace? How could you not? There's no more striving to impress Him. There's no more striving to, to make Him like you more. We have a foreign righteousness that is unwavering, that like with my children, even when they disobey, I make sure that they understand, Daddy doesn't love you less when you disobey. And I don't love you more when you do obey. My love towards you is unwavering. And that's our Father. That's our God. So I'd like to end this morning in a little bit of a different way. And I want to invite the musicians up to the stage. And I want to read an example of what peace looks like. And some of you may know this story, but this is what peace can look like in the life of a believer. This is the story of Horatio Spafford. It says, When the Great Chicago Fire consumed the Windy City in 1871, Horatio Spafford, an attorney heavily invested in real estate, lost a fortune. About that time, his only son, age four, succumbed to scarlet fever. Horatio drowned his grief in work, pouring himself into rebuilding the city and assisting the 100,000 who had been left homeless. In November of 1873, he decided to take his wife and daughters to Europe. Horatio was close to D.L. Moody, and he wanted to visit their evangelistic meetings in England, then enjoy a vacation. When an urgent matter detained Horatio in New York, he decided to send his wife Anna and their four daughters, Maggie, Tanetta, Annie, and Bessie, on ahead. As he saw them settled into a cabin aboard the, a luxurious French liner, an unease filled his mind, and he moved them to a room closer to the bow of the ship. Then he said goodbye, promising to join them soon. During the small hours of November 22, 1873, as the ship glided over smooth seas, the passengers were jolted from their bunks. The ship had collided with an iron sailing vessel, and water poured in like Niagara. The ship tilted dangerously. Screams, prayers, merged into a nightmare of unmeasured terror. The passengers clung to posts, tumbled through darkness, and were swept away by powerful currents of icy ocean. 
Loved ones fell from each other's grasp, disappeared into foaming blackness. Within two hours, the mighty ship vanished beneath the waters. The 226 fatalities included Maggie, Tanetta, Annie, and Bessie. Mrs. Spafford was found nearly unconscious, clinging to a piece of wreckage. When the 47 survivors landed in Cardiff, Wales, she cabled her husband, saved, alone. Horatio immediately booked passage to join his wife. En route on a cold December night, the captain called him aside and said, I believe we are now passing over the place where the ship went down. Spafford went into his cabin, but found it hard to sleep. He said to himself, it is well. The will of God be done. And he later wrote this famous hymn based upon these words.